friends, and welcome to Annie's Pink Chair, where we invite presence, inspire purpose, and ignite passion into the hearts of those to bring God's love throughout the world. You cannot miss today's show. I'm going to be talking to you, my friends, about trauma, drama. Sounds like a nice new song, doesn't it? She got trauma, drama. So a lot of you, maybe you don't understand what trauma is, but I am actually from the sex industry. Wow, everybody hold, everybody put this on pause. What did you say, Annie? You're from the sex industry? Wow, what are you doing on television? Like for real, like how did you get a pass? How did you get these chairs? How did you get to wear that cute pink outfit and wear that cute makeup and have your hair curled, different colors like that? Just how did you do it? There's a history, my friends, and guess where it starts? This all starts, this is my testimony, y'all, with trauma, okay? When I was growing up as a little girl, my daddy was a raging alcoholic. And up until I was about three years old, he would drink on a regular basis. He would drink beer. That was his drug of choice. In fact, my mother and him both went out to the bars and they met over bowling. My mom actually had bowling trophies. She's really good at it. She was like five foot, 10, 11, tall, very like sports enthused with bowling. She could do a really good job. And my dad and her started dating. And of course, one of their dating practices was having a couple beers, getting a little tipsy, having a little fun. Well, hey, one day my dad decided to marry my mama and she had her first baby, which was my older sister, Diana. And can I tell you guys about my sister? Like I looked up to her with everything in me. I loved her with all my heart. Well, when Diane was a very little girl, it's unfortunate and I don't like to talk bad. You know, it's one thing to talk about other people, but when we're talking about our actual family and our own family problems, it gets very, very uncomfortable. It also becomes really personal, but I don't mind doing that with y'all today. I don't mind getting personal because I know right now you might be watching this show or you might be listening to the podcast, you know, in your own life thinking there's something going on that I can relate to with Annie. Right from the get go, when I was born into this world, I was born into trauma. My daddy was already hitting my mother. He was drinking. He was yelling. At that point in my life, when I was a very young girl, my brother had been born, older brother, and then my sister. And so I just remember as a little girl hearing my daddy's voice bellowing throughout the house, yelling at my mother, using explicit language. I actually remember walking on the floor and crunching my feet over beer cans. My dad had a habit, obviously. Well, my mom finally put her foot down and said, you are not going to drink anymore in this house. She had already tried it earlier and it didn't work. And so this was the last final straw for her. And she told my dad, if you don't get help, I am leaving with the kids and I'm not coming back. So my dad, wonderful organization, went to AA. 
And he was there for a month and continued to go there for about a year to all the meetings. He brought home, I believe, his first Bible that I physically saw. And my dad rededicated his life to God. Now, here's the problem. My dad, even though he was healing, he was dealing with a lot of his own trauma. And my dad came from a very abusive household where my grandfather was abusive towards my grandmother. My grandfather also was drinking. My grandfather also was having raging episodes. But my daddy told me this story probably in about 2006 that his own father broke his arm because he took his car out for a drive when he was a teenager and did not ask permission. So he pretty much beat him down. My dad never forgot that. My dad also never forgot the discipline my grandfather gave him and even just being in that household. He had a lot of tears and a lot to share about how un, just uncomfortable and it wasn't a normal childhood. It was very, very dysfunctional. So of course my dad passed these dysfunctions down to our family. And I was raised in a household where we were always us children. My two brothers and my sister were always on the edge of our seats. Felt like we were in constant danger. Felt like any second the shoe was going to drop. We laugh later now, like, oh, remember when dad took out the belt and whipped us and made our skin bleed and we got bruises here. We got, you know, broken ribs there. My two brothers got the worst of my dad's rage. My dad, even though he became sober, unfortunately, y'all, you can get sober all you want. But if you do not deal with those root issues of the trauma and the pain and the abuse that happened to you, you are going to carry this to other people in your life, in your family, and you can actually hurt your friends. You can hurt your family and you can carry this on from generation to generation to generation. It's called in the Bible, generational curses. Well, listen, like I said, I used to sleep under my bed and I was afraid of my dad. I remember peeing in my bed as a little girl and I don't even realize how that even happened. But do you know that's part of trauma? If you've ever had bedwetting as a little girl, it would just happen to me. I'd wake up and it's like I was going to the bathroom and it's like, whoa, what, what's going on here? When I read later and learned later in my life about education, about trauma, that that's actually a symptom of complex trauma is not being able to regulate my own emotions and own body reactions of things that I'm thinking and feeling. I'd have nightmares as a little girl. I'd wake up afraid, like, oh my gosh. Then trying to hide it from my dad. My mom normally never let my dad know that that was happening. So she was prepared. She put like a plastic, oh my gosh, you guys. I'm actually getting emotional right now because I've never told anyone this. She put a plastic in my bed because I had that problem for a little while when I was growing up. And um, so I didn't realize it at the time, but there's something called PTSD, which is usually what war veterans get or someone that's been in a very bad situation like a car accident or maybe somebody was raped. And you just, you go into this mode of, you can't, you keep reliving it over and over and you're getting triggered. And PTSD looks like ADHD. 
It looks like uh, mood swings that are altered, okay? A short temper or sometimes completely withdrawing. It's fight, flight, or freeze, you know? Complex trauma is a little different, but it is PTSD, but it's added additional symptoms and they're lifelong symptoms. PTSD can last your whole life if you don't get help. But complex trauma is something that starts and doesn't really have an ending. You're stuck in this perpetrated situation, let's say a family abusal system, where you can't get away from the relative that's abusing you. So you can develop not only PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, but you can develop complex trauma, okay? And so even though I didn't realize it, my brothers and I, my sister, we were living, breathing examples of family abuse that turns into complex trauma. Complex trauma can look like so many different things. There's another show that I want you guys to join that we will talk about this. We will break it down, I promise. But today, we're going to focus on the drama of complex trauma. Because in my life, I was taught to work hard, work, get my nine to five, go to school, get my degree, whatever that looks like, be responsible, get my life together, do exactly what I'm being told by my parents, not just that, by my school, the way schools were designed in the seventies and the eighties, where I'm supposed to be part of society and I'm supposed to, you know, get my to live my dream, to really do the American dream, to live my nine to five, get my car, get my car payments, get my credit cards, you know, find a husband, get married, have children, have that white picket fence lifestyle, maybe live in the country, maybe have a little farm, doesn't matter, maybe have a city job, whatever that's supposed to look like. Well, that doesn't really happen well when you have complex trauma and you're growing up. So when I became a teenager, I became very promiscuous because my dad and I didn't have a very good relationship. I always was very afraid of him. That part of our relationship as a teen never got really healed. So I was still in this fear mode and I was also in this other mode, rebellion. Like I am going to show my dad who the boss is. I'm going to prove to my dad that I'm going to be someone that's very intelligent, that's very successful. I don't need his advice. I don't need his year, his ear and his, you know, listening to my conversations or yelling at me across the hall or slapping me across the face or watching my mom have bloody noses or myself. I'm going to escape this family and I'm going to make something of myself. So that's what I did. Ended up getting three jobs. This is a total reaction, by the way, to complex trauma. Okay. Getting busy, disassociating, deciding that I'm going to bury all my pain and become a workaholic. Yes. That's actually one of the ways that you can avoid. You disassociate from the pain that you're feeling, your complex trauma that you're stuck in, you're stuck in this loop. So the best way to kind of escape out of it that you think is hypervigilance on work ethics or hypervigilance on everything you're doing. I'm going to do thing things in my life that are over to the top, to the max of capacity that I can. So I'm going to save all the money I can because guess what? My father had an antique addiction. He could not save money for us children, and we weren't rich, by the way, to go to college. So by the time we hit that place that we actually could go to college, there was no funds left for us. In fact, when I left my parents' home when I was a teenager, I had no money to buy my own car. I had money to get a bus ride, bus fare, 
but nope, I probably had about a couple hundred dollars to my name from my graduation gifts and maybe like a hundred dollars from my family, which is not, it's, hey, that's not bad, but it's not the normal kind of presents a normal family would give that's middle class, right? So I had to kind of like scrape my stuff together. I lived with my sister for the first couple of months, got my three jobs, worked on the weekends, did not care. I'm a type of person, I will go to the grind and work and get it done. I never, I learned from my father, even though my father was not perfect, I never had this, well, you better give it to me right now or else. I was like, no, I'm going to work for it. No, I'm going to make it happen. You guys, until later in my life. Okay. Some of you know my story. I got pulled in at a very young age as a teenager. I figured out, you know what? $3 and 47 cents an hour wasn't cutting it. $3 and 50 cents, $5 an hour wasn't cutting it with tips from Ichiban's, the Japanese restaurant I was working for. At weekdays, I would leave work literally 4.40, boom, clock in at 5, clock out at 11.30, do all my cash chips, count them, clean up, leave there about maybe 12.30 at night. That was my regular Monday through Friday. On the weekends, I worked at Deluno's Pizza. Love the pizza, by the way. Can't say anything bad about it. But yes, I worked as a waitress in two different jobs and stacked my money. I was like, I got to get my own place. But right before that happened, I started going out to the clubs because I started becoming really tired. All my disassociated trauma that I was experiencing, my complex trauma that I never admitted that I had, that I didn't know that I had at the time, was finally building up and it was coming to this stage of snapping. You know how a volcano can kind of like get hotter and hotter and hotter? A pimple, same thing on the face, get bigger and bigger and bigger. And there comes a point where that thing on your face need to be popped, right? I'm a pimple popper. I love it. I'm not going to deny. Okay. There's a zit on my face. I'm going to pop it. I know some of you are like, that's so gross, Annie. Hey, it's just something I do. Okay. And you can see right now I have no pimples on my face, but volcano, almost the same thing. That's going to come to a head. Something's going to happen in your life. If you do not get the right counseling, the healing, the help that you need, you will snap. And so I snapped. I started, you know, going out to the clubs, drinking a little bit, smoking pot a little bit, getting into the club scene. Before that all happened, I got my heart broken from this boy in school. There was already a setup the devil had in my life. My heart was broken from my father. Never felt like my father loved me. Even though deep down, deep, deep down, I knew somehow that he did. But that boyfriend, I felt trafficked by him. Even though he never raped me, that boyfriend, my first one that I fell in love with, to me, he trafficked my soul with the way he treated me. He hurt me, seriously. And I felt like I was treated like a rag doll. And that set the precedence for the rest of my life. So I go out to the club one night with my girlfriend. We both had fake IDs. We're teenagers still. You know, your brain does not form completely till you're about 25, okay? 25 years old is when really we can say, we're an adult. We can make the right decisions. We can make good choices now. We've got sound judgment now. But your brain is continuing to form and grow. So to me, honestly, you guys, I disagree with the 21-year-old drinking age. I even disagree that we should have car licenses. And I know some of you are like, Annie, you're such a prude. And oh my gosh, like we shouldn't probably get our license. So we're 21 to drive. Seriously. Like this is the thing you guys, our mind is not ready for some of these things, especially if we have a traumatized mind. 
Did you know that 50%, did you hear that my friends? 50% of people will experience some sort of serious trauma in their life, whether it's mental, physical, emotional, right? Soulful trauma, spiritual trauma. You can be abused or re in a way or treated in a way where your soul is devastated. Well, I was already had that set up. The demons, the devil, whatever you want to call it, came after me at a very young age to tell me that I was worthless, that I was ugly, that I was stupid. I couldn't think straight. Even though, by the way, ADHD, which I've never been diagnosed, or a ADD is actually, some of it is from trauma. A lot of it is from trauma. That I'm not good enough. I never had the right clothes. I never had enough money. I didn't have my own car yet. I was like taking the bus. I was not a good person. So speaking into my heart and into my ear was the enemy's voice. Rejected, ugly, not pretty. Get the money. The money's the answer. Materialistic things, you know, dressing pretty, getting attention is the answer. It filled that void. I'm not going to lie. That totally like that had this huge void in my little cute little heart like that I filled with money, alcohol, sex. Oh my gosh. For some reason, it just for a minute, for a couple hours, for a couple days, months, whatever it is, years, it feels good for a while. It fills that void, that trauma. It's still there, but it's buried. You're just putting more things on top of it. You're pushing it down deeper, deeper, deeper. The bottom of the well has the trauma, but you're shoving other stuff in it, whatever you can. Some of you, it's food. Some of you, you're angry. You have a temper tantrum. Some of you are addicted to porn. Some of you are shopping addicts. Could it be your trauma is actually speaking to you right now? Some of you like to be control freaks. Got to control every situation because you're hypervigilant. You don't want to lose control because if you lose control, everything, you'll lose it, right? Some of you, you fear. You fear everything. Could it be that's a root of your first initial trauma that happened to you? So you guys, we go out to this club. We're dancing. We're having fun. We're still teenagers. We're drinking Long Island iced teas. We're just, you know... Uh, I remember the song that was playing. The lights are on. You're not home. You remember Robert Palmer, okay? Had his musics out there. It's like, we were like literally dancing to these 80s tunes and we were like, we look good. We look hot. Like, yeah, check us out. These guys come walking in. No idea. Top secret. They were undercover sex traffickers. At the time, we were like, no, these guys have money. Look at their fur coats. Not even windy yet, but it's okay. They can wear their furs up in here. Sunglasses at night. I wear my sunglasses at night. Funny, right? That's a famous song back then. Walked in with sunglasses. They come up to the bar. We just got off the dance floor. Of course, we're in there underage, like I said. Owner of the club didn't care. And he liked us. He thought we were gorgeous. So we we're like, free drinks for these ladies. It's ladies night. The men come up. You know, we were done with our free drink tab. We were already into a couple, couple Long Island iced teas. And they said, hey, let's buy these ladies a drink. Check them out. 
And I was like, oh, where do you guys come from? Oh, well, you know, we're car dealers. And my friend over here, he owns his own real estate company. And of course, we're like, tell us more. Me and my girlfriend at the time both had daddy issues. We both didn't have a lot of money, but we were cute. We had cute clothes on, even though they were, you know, not designer, but they were nice. We made ourselves look pretty. And so my girlfriend starts dating one of these men. And she calls me up literally, like probably about two weeks into it. She's like, I'm in Hawaii. Girl, I'm on the beach and I'm hearing the beautiful waves coming in and out of the phone. And you know what? No one back then really had cell phones. We're talking 1987, y'all. We're talking the days of the cell phones were probably as big as my poofy right here. Like, except a little thinner. Like, look at my poofy right here. Like, hello. <laughs> wow, it matches my hat. Looks so cute. And she's in this car. She's in a yellow Corvette drop top. And I'm like, can you send for me? Like, she's like, come out here. She didn't tell me what she was doing. She just said, when you get here, I'll show you. But I knew it had something to do with taking my clothes off. I had no idea that she was with a trafficker. And I had no idea that I was about to meet the real life. It's called the game. Pulled into it out of a need and greed for money. The need to feel okay about my life, to feel safe. If I had money in my bank... If I had enough money to get my own apartment and maybe eventually buy my own house. At this point, my dream, y'all, of getting married and having children was way over. Like, I was like, I'm an independent woman. I'm going to become an entrepreneur. I'm going to have my own business. I'm going to go to music school. I'm going to produce my own album. I'm going to play the guitar. I'm going to play my keyboard because I can play all music by ear. I can sing a little bit. I'm going to become a musician. And I'm going to make my life successful. And this is the way that I'm going to do it. And listen, friends, let's be real. This was my plan. This was not God's plan. I grew up in a Lutheran church. I remember the first time that I accepted Jesus. I don't remember the exact date, but I know I was about four or five. Because when I accepted Jesus, they gave me a glow-in-the-dark cross about this high. You could put it up to the light, and then when you turn your lights off, you could just hold on to it, look at it, because it glowed. And back then, Casper the Friendly Ghost was a famous cartoon. He was one of my favorite little guys. And I actually had a Casper the Friendly Ghost little doll that I used to play with. You could pull the back string, and he would talk to you. You guys, I'm so dating myself, but I do not care. And I was literally in this place of, I'm going to stuff all my trauma, all my drama, and I'm just going to do my life and do me. That's what it's going to be. Me and my girlfriend, we're going to have our great time. So I flew out to Hawaii and I remember looking through the window of the airplane because it was my second time ever being on an airplane. The first time my sister, when I was 14, she flew me down to Orlando right when Epcot Center was opening. 
in Epcot Center, the only part that was really open was half the kingdoms. And they had like that beautiful silver ball open. You could go inside of it and tour it and stuff. And so I was looking out the window and I was like in the very back. Cause when you're that naive with booking flights, you don't know where to sit in the plane. You don't realize that the back of the plane is the worst bumpiest part of the ride and your ears might pop. And so I'm sitting there watching the water thinking, oh, I hope the plane doesn't crash and looking down and all of a sudden I see those beautiful emerald jewels in the middle of the sea and I saw the big island and I saw Oahu where I was going to land and there I was landing in Hawaii. I remember stepping off the plane, going down the stairs because it was like one of those planes where you uh, landed on the the uh, blacktop and then you walked down the stairway. And there were these beautiful girls. Aloha. Welcome to Hawaii. In the background, guess what they have playing? Tiny bubbles in the wine. Makes me happy, makes me feel fine. We all know who Don Ho is, right? Famous singer from Hawaii. And I get there with the beautiful lace and I smelled the flowers. I knew they were real. And here's my girlfriend with her little, she was in a drop top Mustang at the time. She pulls up. She's like, get in the car, girl. She had the top down, had her glasses, like her sunglasses on. She's styling. And I'm like so excited because I was finally feeling like I was in control of my life. And I was going to make something change. I was no longer going to work a nine to five. Nope. I was going to become a millionaire. And this was how I was going to do it. I was going to learn from my girlfriend how to make fast cash. You guys, listen, we're out of time right now. So thank you, friends, for coming on Annie's Pink Chair today. We will see you next time. Bye. Hi, friends. Let me read you part of my book about my story, Becoming a Trafficking Victim in Las Vegas. The Skyway Lounge in downtown Minneapolis was a happening strip joint. Slick businessmen in fancy suits strolled in for lunch and after work. Ties loosened, money rolling, the tips were great, the best in the area. And dancers lined up to work at this place. I was lucky to be a regular. One Saturday night, I was dancing to Prince's Kiss. Giving some special customers a little extra glimpse of skin when in walked a man who caught my attention. The bright lights illuminating the catwalk stage couldn't distract me from how gorgeous he was. A cross between young Billy D. Williams and Denzel Washington, he wore a gray tweed suit and pointy loafers. He walked confidently, light and smooth, his jerry curl pulled back in a sleek ponytail. My friends, this is my book, Fallen Out of the Sex Industry and Into the Arms of the Savior. And this is the story of me being turned into a sex trafficking slave in Minneapolis, Hawaii, and Las Vegas, my final destination. This teaches you about trafficking and how it can happen in your own backyard. You think it can't happen to you? Think it can't happen to your girlfriend or your child, your granddaughter, your niece, even your nephew? It can, my friends. If you're interested in this, it's going to help you learn about this, but it's also going to give you a call to the charge. You can simply go to pinkchair.org, click on the book to purchase it. You can help us help others 
get out of trafficking. Thank you so much.